Ren Stein. Who do you hope is listening to this podcast episode? I guess Miss Adair, my high school physics teacher. Welcome to the Tyler Loops Out of the Loop podcast. I'm your host, Jane Neal. And I probably made you afraid of dogs. <laughs> oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> Sir, I heard you say grassy ass. <laughs> Tyler will always be my home. Let's begin. Renstein is a junior at Stanford University studying mechanical engineering. He's a member of the Stanford Club tennis team and a teaching assistant for an introductory computer science course. Welcome, Ren. So glad to have you to Out of the Loop podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's take a listen to your Out of the Loop story told during season three of July 2020. My name's Ren Stein. I go to All Saints Episcopal School and I've lived in Tyler for 11 years. I have a variety of interests from playing piano to playing tennis to managing my investment portfolio. But something I'm most proud of is thanks to a plastic tube, epoxy, and some LED lights. I've always loved technology and engineering and I always wanted to know how things work. When I was 13, I took apart a broken iPhone to see all the components inside and made some educated guesses for what all those way too complicated components actually did. While my guesses were anything but truly educated, the experience was the most influential in developing my love of engineering. I later learned how to use a 3D printer, and that same year, Allstate's expanded their fabrication resources to include a laser cutter, more than 10 3D printers, large workspaces, and every tool you can imagine. But I felt as though these tools weren't really being used to benefit the most people possible, and were really being restricted to only helping the 180 or so students in the high school. So I founded Makers on a Mission. It's a student-run organization focused on using engineering to help the community in any way possible. We use the fabrication tools that All Saints offers to create anything that can help those in need in East Texas. This was the first year of Makers on a Mission, and we had 22 members, which might not sound like a lot, but keep in mind my entire grade is only 41 people. So I knew that community engagement was important, and I knew I wanted to help out Tyler, but how could 3D printing fabrication really do that? I was inspired by a field trip to the Treatment and Learning Center last year. For those of you who haven't heard of the Treatment Learning Center or visited, it's a treatment center for children living with autism of any age in East Texas. While I was there, I watched through a one-way mirror as a teacher worked one-on-one with a student who was maybe five years old. I was amazed by the insane patience and attention the teacher gave as she slowly and deliberately taught and retaught the same steps to the student. It wasn't so much about the actual task the teacher was teaching, but more about the student being able to keep focus even when surrounded by all sorts of distractions in a playroom. So I knew I wanted to help the Treatment and Learning Center, and after meeting with some people at the TLC, we decided the perfect way to do that would be to create bubble tubes. A bubble tube is basically just a foot-tall plastic tube with water filled inside with lights and a bubbler in it. It sounds relatively simple, but the end result is something like a lava lamp, but only more soothing and more mesmerizing. And they really are mesmerizing. I can promise you that we've all spent way more time than we'd like to admit staring at them rather than actually working on them in the process. So we thought the process would be relatively easy, and we started at the beginning of the school year. Unfortunately, we quickly realized it really wasn't that easy. So we wanted to do them for as cheap as possible to make as many as possible, so we bought some cheap plastic tubes we found online that we assumed would hold water. They did not. That was our first of many issues. 
We solved it by using a silicon-based sealant to draw a line around the bottom where it was leaking, and after a couple tries, they were watertight. So we were then ready to drill a hole for the lights and bubbler, and this is where we ran into our biggest problem. Thanks to some expert Amazon searching, I'd found a circular device that had LEDs in the middle with a ring of stone on the outside. This allowed us to combine the two parts, the lights, which created obviously the light to make the water different colors, and the stone, which distributed air from an outside bubbler into the small mesmerizing bubbles that make a bubble tube. Unfortunately, when we put these in the bottom and put the cables out the hole near the bottom of the tube, that's when the problem occurred. No matter what we did, every time we put sealant in the hole to try to make the tube watertight, it would not stick to the rubber tube that brought air from the bubbler to the stone. We tried over and over, and every time it leaked the same. Finally, our teacher sponsor for Makers on a Mission, Miss Adair, came up with the idea to use epoxy on the rubber tube first to give the sealant something different to bond to. Finally, it worked, and we were able to move on to making a base for the tube to sit on that would hold the bubbler and the wires. We made this box out of just pieces of wood, drilled holes for the wiring and for the bubbler, and then painted the whole thing black to look a bit nicer. Finally, we were on to the last step, creating something to hold the tube on top of the box to have a finished bubbler. We did this by 3D printing it because we thought this was the place where we could use the fabrication resources in the 3D printers at All Saints. After four or five tries, we finally had a successful one that held the tube perfectly and the wires perfectly. Finally, we had a completed tube. After countless wasted tubes of sealant, more than 20 soap countertops, and an incredible amount of nasty splinters, we had a finished product and we were ready to deliver it. We decided our first delivery should go to Odin, a teen living with severe autism from Miss Adair's church. We decided to deliver it to him on a Thursday night while he was at Grand Slam because his family was there bowling. When we first walked into Grand Slam, I saw Odin from across the room, and he was looking around frantically and was very clearly distraught and making a lot of noise. He was very clearly overwhelmed by the crowd. But the second we plugged in the tube, immediately you could see his muscles relax as all his focus went on the tube and he forgot about the chaos around him. We handed him a button to control the tube and he just continuously pressed it on and off, just sitting, smiling, and staring quietly at the tube. He eventually accidentally dropped the button and immediately started making noise and was clearly focusing back in on the chaos around him. But as soon as I handed the button back to him, he calmed down and everything was okay again. His parents have told us that since delivering it, it now sits in his room where he falls asleep looking at the bubble tube every night and that it's still working perfectly today. Seeing Odin so impacted by my work made the entire process in the many splinters instantly worthwhile. I knew that I could actually make a difference in someone's life and I wanted to broaden that impact. Now, I know what you're thinking. Can a bubble tube really cure Odin's autism? No, but our hope is that it can at least make his life just a little bit easier. Some things can't be solved, but at least we can help a teen sleep through the night. We can take small steps to make someone's life brighter, even if that comes in the form of a foot-tall tube full of water. My work may create small victories, but they still matter. And since then, I've done more than just bubble tubes. After the coronavirus pandemic made its way to East Texas, I used a 3D printer to print mask adjusters. They're basically just little pieces of plastic that go on the back of your head for the mask straps to attach to. It allows the mask to fit better, and it also takes the pressure off of your ears if you're wearing it for long durations. I ended up delivering 58 of these mask adjusters to healthcare workers around East Texas. I recently graduated from high school, and I'm attending Stanford University to study mechanical engineering in the fall. Before I leave, I will do everything I can to ensure that Makers on a Mission becomes a long-lasting club at All Saints' campus because I want the incredible resources of the school to continue to be used to help those in need around East Texas. These are strange times we're living in with lots of uncertainty for all of us, but who knows when a tiny bit of 3D pin plastic can make the world just slightly better of a place.
That is such an enjoyable story, Ren. I don't think we've ever had a story before or since that was about making something and it making the impact it did. So when I think of all the storytellers we've had to date, which number now in the 50s, we always ask, tell a story that's important to you and that says something about life in Tyler in East Texas. Ren, tell us how you chose the topic as you were out of the loop story. I've had a pretty fortunate life in Tyler and just in general. So there haven't been any super dramatic, big events that I could think of, especially when I started thinking about a story that I really want to talk about or that were impactful enough that I thought would make a good story. But the one big thing I had sort of my connection to Tyler and to the larger community other than just living here was Makers on a Mission and founding the club and trying to find a way to kind of bridge the gap between the very fortunate resources at All Saints and the broader city of Tyler. When you went through and you talked about the different things you can do with a 3D printer, one thing that came to my mind is there are so many things you can print, I assume, but they may not necessarily be useful or helpful to other people. So how do you merge those two? How do you find something out there that is 3D printable, but that is also of great value and great use in your community? With a 3D printer, the possibilities are theoretically pretty close to limitless, especially with higher-end, super expensive printers that can handle printing in metal or nylon, or some even print in conductive metals. I know someone who's 3D printed an entire functional lamp, where like the center was printed in copper and the outside was in a different material. It all comes down mostly to creativity and design, and so it's more, it's less about you making the 3D printer work, and more about coming up with an idea that you can then use the 3D printer for. So you tell us in your story that you got the idea when you went on this field trip. Why bubble tubes? I mean, did, when you saw them, did you instantly think this could this could happen? So it started as a field trip to the Treatment Learning Center, which is a place in Tyler for children living with autism to kind of get them acclimated and more likely to then go out and be able to live closer to normal and functional life. And so we went not with the intention of trying to find something. In fact, the trip was before I had the idea for Makers on a Mission. But I really liked what they were doing. I was super inspired by the work there, as I talk about in the story. Bubble tubes immediately stood out as something that was really cool looking to me. It looked like something that would be relatively feasible because at this point I was already entering my senior year and knew I didn't have three years to make some crazy project. And it also, after looking up online, even though it looked relatively simplistic, they sold for hundreds of dollars online. So I knew it was something that they would ver- be, it would probably be pretty low on their list of things to purchase, but I knew it would be something useful. And it looked fun to make. (laughs) And yeah, what a perfect combination that turned out to be. So a big part of your story is all the steps and all the trial and error. And I'm very curious, now that you have two years of college at Stanford under your belt, have you had other projects you've been a part of that have also had a lot of this trial and error? Tell us a little bit about that. As I've learned more and gotten more technical skills, there's definitely less trial and error because I actually know what I'm doing on the first attempt. And I know a bit more about different strength materials, different sort of sealants. I know a lot more about just basically measuring and planning for tolerances ahead of time. But regardless, every project has its trial and error. For example, I made an M&M dispenser, obviously not the most useful (laughs) invention, but it was for a class and I needed to make it. That had an incredible amount of trial and error of just getting even a simple spring to work with. It was just basically a lever with a spring, but it took days and days of trial and error and different parts and tolerances to get to work even after having some education on it. 
I've always kind of seen things and how they work. And especially now, and now that I have some education and some ability to actually fix things, everything gets taken apart if it doesn't work. And even if it doesn't, I really want to know how it works. So a really touching part for me in your story is talking about Miss Adair. And I noticed, too, just how quickly you were to include the teamwork aspect. That This wasn't just you. It was all of the students who were part of Makers on a Mission, but specifically Miss Adair and the inspiration she was to you. I'm curious, now that you are in college in California, are you finding other mentors similar to her? Yeah, I am, but not quite on the same level mainly because Stanford's substantially larger than All Saints, where, you know, All Saints had a class, my class was 40 people, my class at Stanford's over a thousand. So even though it's still on the smaller side of colleges, it's not quite as intimate, not to mention I had Miss Adair for two full years versus one full quarter or something like that at Stanford. So she's still probably the closest mentor I've had other than maybe some other high school teachers. But I think she would be the closest and just because we worked together so much on it. And I mean, she was the inspiration for Makers on a Mission and also for our project. And she was immediately the sponsor and immediately behind it. In fact, she did an incredible amount of work on the projects. She was working and making the boxes in her garage for the base of the bubble tubes and constantly texting me different ways we could make it better and different parts we could buy. And even to this day, she's still improving our design. I don't think I ever would have gone all the way to Founding Makers on a Mission because even though I probably would have wanted to help the community and I would have seen the fabrication resources at All Saints, I don't know if I ever would have bridged that gap. I definitely wouldn't have had any connection to the Dream Learning Center as that was fully her idea for the field trip in the first place. So what I'm super curious to know is what you are doing now. What have these two years of college been like? Can you give us a brief update? So first year was a little interesting. Thanks to COVID, I didn't go off to college until this last fall in 2021. So my entire freshman year was, quote unquote, at Stanford. However, it was fully at my home on Zoom. So I got the full education, but none of the social life, none of the interaction. And then finally, this year had my first full true year on campus. So in that first year, it was pretty strictly studies. I still took a ton of interesting classes, got to start focusing on mechanical engineering. And also, which was surprisingly influential going forward, I took a couple introductory computer science classes because I had a little bit of experience, but not that much and really loved it, loved the structure of the classes, the professors behind them, and also the unique teaching aspect they had to them, where because Stanford is an incredibly famous school for computer science, almost everyone takes the classes. So these first two introductory computer science classes have about 1,500-ish students every single quarter between the two classes. So obviously that means massive lectures with very little one-on-one interaction. Did it feel different when you finally were able to be back on campus? Like, do you feel like you and your cohort have, I don't know, kind of a special identity by having that first year completely on Zoom? Yeah, for sure. First and foremost, our class is smaller because about 300 students from our class took gap years once we found out we wouldn't be in person. So we have already just by pure numbers unique class. And then also we all came to campus as sophomores, but socially freshmen. So there was this interesting dynamic where Stanford didn't give us the full week of orientation that they would give freshmen because they assumed we'd been students for a year. They let us come a few days early and they had a few events for us because they were aware we hadn't been on campus. But we never got that full acclimation to campus that was kind of, you know, faculty driven and super structured. And so I think we have a slightly different perspective and Definitely a different outlook on just living on campus after basically seeing both ways of both on campus and off campus while being enrolled. Do you feel like you're less social or you and your cohort are less social than you would have been otherwise? I know that's a huge sweeping generalization, but just tell me what your experience has been. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. 
I think we are probably a bit more comfortable in general working alone, just because group projects were incredibly tedious when you finish your five hours on Zoom for classes and then join another Zoom for your group project. And so we just generally got more comfortable working alone, but also at the same time, somehow slightly more collaborative over group chats and things like that. So there's a weird mix where we're more collaborative outside of like the structured collaboration of classes, but also more comfortable working alone if we have to. You've been away from Tyler for a year and we were really lucky to get you here live in the studio and not on Zoom. When you come back to your hometown after a year away, what do you notice? I'm very comfortable being home and it still feels probably more like home than it would for the average sophomore in college. But it's also interesting knowing this is probably the last break where I come home for the full summer, knowing next summer I'll probably either be working on campus with section leading or an internship or a mix of both. I'm still planning on meeting up with Miss Adair, and I've met up with a few people who are in Makers on a Mission, and I'm still actually keeping in touch with that, funny enough. As you think about Makers on a Mission and you kind of carrying your torch to the group of students who are participating in it now, what do you hope they're getting out of it, or what do you hope they're making? I mean, honestly, to start, I was just hopeful the club would continue in general, which it has. It's actually doing incredibly strong. They keep delivering bubble tubes and they've improved them even. I just want them to see that they can use these resources. They can learn how to use them. And even more importantly, that they can do something. There's incredible technology there and tons of opportunities for all the students. But a lot of it stays internal and a lot of it just goes kind of back to All Saints and is only seen by people at All Saints. But I want them to see how easily you can branch it outside. And is there anything else important for you to pass on to people in this podcast episode? Anything you wish people knew or understood? I would say just don't be too intimidated that you need crazy resources. If you have an idea and want to execute it, you can typically find a way. It just might be a bit roundabout. Well, it is delightful talking to you, Ren. Thank you for coming in and taking some time with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. The Out of the Loop podcast was recorded at the Innovation Pipeline in downtown Tyler with technical support from Neil Katz and Leah Wansley. Music is provided by the Tyler, Texas duo Gypsum and the Travelers. Out of the Loop is a production of the Tyler Loop, a nonprofit news and culture magazine and storytelling platform for Tyler and East Texas. We run on memberships from informed, engaged residents like you who value in-depth, inclusive reporting. Check us out at thetylerloop.com. <laughs>